0: Holy Spirit, please take what I say, please take the words from your scripture and the thoughts that we think in these next few minutes to set us free. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome those of you in the narthex. It's good to have you out there. And I'm really excited that you now can see us in here because of some generous donations of some cameras. So it makes us that much closer. It's great to have you with us. The past few weeks, I've been doing a sermon series on how Jesus sets us free from the things that hold us in bondage. And each week, I have asked you, and I'm going to ask you again this week, to think about the thing you want to be set free from. Maybe it's anger, or worry, or money issues. Maybe it's a bad habit, a repetitive sin, an addiction, a health problem, or a relationship problem. What is it that you want Jesus to deliver you from? Someone said to me this week, I hate this sermon series, which I found very affirming. (laughs) It's making me think that's a good thing because all of us have some kind of bondage and Jesus can set us free. And in the next few weeks, I want to get very, very practical about what we need to do to cooperate with Jesus in being set free. Jesus is the only one that can deliver us from bondage, but we have a role to play as well. And in the two texts that Candy just read, I think they tell us two things that I believe we have to do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in being set free. In my job, I have seen a lot of people set free from a lot of things, but I have never seen anyone set free without having done these two things. I think these two things we got to do, and I'm going to call them show and tell. Let's start with the first one in order for Jesus to set us free, we need to show our bondage to someone else. The biblical word for that is confession, and we did a little bit of that here. First, we need to confess our sins to God, to be sure, but the Bible also says confess your sins to one another. We need someone else on, in this with us. Now, if you look through the passage that Candy read in James, it, it lists a lot of different kinds of bondage. It talks about trouble, which could be just about anything. It talks about sickness. And the Greek word there for sickness could mean physical, emotional, or spiritual sickness. It talks about sin. We might use the word addictions. The passage lists a lot of different kinds of bondage, but the prescription is always the same. Show it to someone else. Let someone else in on what, what you're going through. For instance, it says, if your bondage is illness, get some people praying for you. Because the prayers of godly people can have a big effect. Now, I know that instantly raises the question, well, what if we pray and nothing happens? Don't worry about it, right? Healing is on job, God's job description, not on ours. Our job is to pray. And remember, when it comes to faith, we're in sales, not management, right? Let God decide about the healing. Because even when there's no miraculous cure, God still delivers from bondage. Several families I'm close to in the church right now have some real serious health issues, Cancer brain surgery some tough stuff and a lot of people have prayed lots of people and there's been no miraculous cure yet But all of these people have said to me, you know, what? we feel God's power with us We feel God supporting us in some ways more than we ever have before and they've all said How do people get through something like this without praying? Well, the prayers are obviously doing something They're making God more real and that is freeing them from the bondage of fear Besides, sometimes God does do the miraculous. A couple of years ago here, there was a woman who had cancer. Our elders prayed for her, and she was cured beyond anyone's expectations. Miraculous cure right here at FPCB. There's a Presbyterian, a Presbyterian pastor I know who one day was praying for a woman in the hospital who'd been in a coma for several months. And as she was praying, the woman's vital sign suddenly shot up. And the woman started to move around, and the nurses rushed in to see what was going on. My friend said she's never experienced the power of God so dramatically before. Now, I'd like to tell you how that story ends, but I don't know because my friend got so freaked out by it that she left the room and never came back. You can hardly blame her. She was Presbyterian. That wasn't supposed to happen, right? The spirit was supposed to work, but in an orderly way. If your bondage is a health problem, let some folks in on it so that they can pray. And it's the same with any kind of bondage. You know, we cannot get out of it alone. We need to let others in on it, especially if your bondage is an addiction or some kind of repetitive sin. you got to confess it to God to be sure, but at least one other person. And I know I've preached this point hundreds of times before that we know we need to take off the masks. We need to be real with each other. You know, and I do that because part of a pastor's job is to nag for Jesus It's kind of on my job description, nag for Jesus in order to get you all to do what you don't want to do so that you can become who you want to become. There is no way to break free from bondage without being, without letting someone else in on it. Now, why won't God just heal us in secret? Well, because relationship is God's top priority and he wants to heal us in relationship with him, but also in relationship with each other. Now, you don't have to tell everybody, just somebody It's best if it's a close Christian friend, but if you don't want to do that, a pastor will do in a pinch, you know, sort of like a spare tire. You're going to want to change it as fast as you can, but it'll get you going. And sometimes we may need to seek professional help because those people who are trained to help can be very, very helpful for us. Bottom line, though, is we got to tell someone else. There is a spiritual power released. There is a spiritual power released when we confess. For one thing, it takes away the, if they only knew syndrome, because now someone does know and you're still loved. Plus people, you get people to help you, pray for you, support you, hold you accountable, encourage you. And on top of all that, we realize that we're not alone. You know, sometimes people will come into my office to confess some secret and they'll say, well, I bet you've never heard this one before. And I'll say, "Uh uh-huh, try me. And I don't want to hurt our feelings, but you know, we're not nearly as creative in our sinning as we think we are. For all the theological talk about original sin, I've never seen one yet. They've all been done before. Right? Or sometimes people will say, well, I bet I'm the only person in the church that deals with this. And I'll think, mm, yeah, except for about 50 other people, some of whom are sitting around you in church right now, right? I mean, just look at us. Look at us. We're a mess, right? I got stuff. You got stuff. All got shown got stuff. And if we just take it to God and at least one other person, Jesus will set us free from our bondage. The second thing we need to do to cooperate with Jesus in breaking free is to tell the thoughts and feelings that lead to bondage to be quiet. The second passage we read today out of Corinthians says to take every thought captive. And that is a great phrase. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because a lot of our bondage, especially bad habits, addictions, repetitive sin, attitudes, a lot of that bondage begins with a thought. A thought. The bondage of fear, for instance, begins with the thought, well, what if this happens? Or the bondage of lust begins with the thought, well, look at that. The bondage of a broken relationship begins with the thought, why you so-and-so. The bondage of out-of-control spending begins with the thought, I've got to have it. Right? And all of those thoughts lead to bondage. The fear just makes us worry and anxious all the time. Unhealthy sexual thoughts rob us of the intimacy that can be found only in marriage where, part, where, where people know each other fully and love each other. Fully. The angry thoughts consume us with rage. The out-of-control spending builds a prison of debt. Those thoughts lead to bondage. And the problem in our culture is that our culture puts those thoughts into our heads all the time, doesn't it? I mean, my mind has soaked up so many messages from TV, you know, movies, advertising, all kinds of stuff. And i got tons of useless stuff in my head. For instance, which U.S. president got stuck in the White House bathtub? Taft. I have a finite number of brain cells, and I really resent that some of them are taken up with that visual in my mind. And now it's in yours. They had to call the fire department to get him out, it was was tragic, really. Then there's the theme songs from television shows, you know, the Brady Bunch, Friends, Cheers, you know, taking up even more brain cells, right? I mean, in college, I read some of the greatest works of literature ever. Gone. (laughs) Faded away. Right, But hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Right there, my command. Right. Our minds are filled with a worldview that is just that, the world's view, not God's view. And it leads to bondage. But if we take those thoughts captive before they go too far and tell them to be obedient in the name of Christ, we break free. So, for instance, the world says, don't get mad, get even. Jesus says, that'll eat you alive with rage like acid on your soul. Forgive your enemies so that you can live in peace instead. The world says, be afraid. I mean, look at the stock market. Look at all the crime. Look at it. You know, never mind. The crime has dropped 30%. We're going to find the few criminals that are left and we're going to show them to you 24, 7, 52 because it's good for ratings. Right, be afraid. Be afraid. Jesus says, fear not, for I'm with you and I have summoned you by name. If we take every thought captive and replace them with the thoughts of Christ, we'll be set free from our bondage. And how do we get Jesus thinking into our head? It's easy. First thing you got to do, you got to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That's the first step. That's the most important step. And then we need to know the Bible because that's where God records his thinking. The bottom line here is that there is power in the name of Jesus which means that we do not have to be passive in our bondage. We can wage war against the thoughts and the feelings that lead to bondage and we can win. I just love the macho language in that Corinthians passage. You know, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. I Man, I just love that. This summer I was doing some volunteer work at a house and part of it was to take a sledgehammer and tear down these walls that had been infected with mold. It was so much fun, and just bashing those walls in. You know, in my job there's not There's not always a lot of tangible, visible results. You know, I can never really point and say, look, my congregation is 100% sanctified, right? So tearing down a wall, I mean, that was cool. You know, I could see that. You know, I felt like a man. I destroyed something, right? When we have thoughts and feelings that lead to bondage, we can destroy them in the name of Christ. We can take them captive. Let me illustrate. One of my bondages is that I am a chronic insomniac, have been my whole life. And almost anything keeps keeps me awake. I mean, you know, someone sneezes in Ballard and I'm up for hours. <laughs> and a lot of that is just because I just cannot get my mind to, to shut off. But sometimes it's because of worry. And there's a lot of sin behind that worry. A lot of me, me, me going on. So one of the ways God is freeing me from that is the show and tell method. So I've shown that bondage to others. I've confessed the sin that comes behind that, that's behind that worry. And they pray for me. And that, that's very, very helpful. But I've also started to take those thoughts captive and tell them what to do. So I'll say, worry, you're the devil trying to steal my joy. So in the name of Jesus, I cast you to the foot of the cross and I declare you null and void. Jesus conquered death, which means he can beat the devil too. So I don't have to be afraid of anything. So worry, let me sum this up for you in three simple words that even you can understand. Go to hell. Good night. (laughs) And then I pray. And then I pray, and that always gets me to sleep way quicker than if I just kind of worried myself into exhaustion. Lust, take that thought captive and tell her what to do. Say, devil, you are trying to make me step on dollars to pick up pennies, and I am not going to do it. I'm not going to fall for your schemes. I will settle for nothing less than the joy of intimacy that comes only in marriage where I can be fully known and fully loved. Anger, take that thought captive before it becomes a bondage to you. Say, yes, this person hurt me, and yes, I'm angry, but God, you are bigger than my anger, and you are bigger than the hurt, and you love that person too. Help me to see them the way you see them. Luther put it this way. You can't stop a bird from flying around your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. (laughs) Think about it. It'll make sense in a minute. In other words, you can take those thoughts captive, tell them what to do, and defeat them before they defeat you. You can stop the thought-feeling-action train before that bad boy ever gets out of the station. Only Jesus can free us. But we cooperate with him when we show our bondage to someone else and tell our thoughts and feelings that lead to bondage to shut up. You don't even need to be polite about it. And without those two, I'm not sure that we can be delivered and be set free fully. And you need both. You know, some of us are real good at the showing part and confessing part, but we kind of aren't good at taking the thoughts captive part, and so we kind of wallow in them, or vice versa. You need both. When I did college ministry, there was a young man who attended my college group who had just was in bondage to a whole lot of stuff. He was so insecure he could hardly talk to anybody. And he also seemed to be carrying a huge load of guilt because he'd say things like, man, if, if people knew who I really am, man, they, would, they wouldn't want me around. Well, one day he finally told me his whole story and turned out his dad had repeatedly said to him over and over again, your disappointment as a son. And then his parents split up. And then as a teenager, he ran away from home, got involved in the rave scene, which included a whole lot of drugs and stuff like that. Eventually he came back home, but then six months after he got back, his mom attempted suicide and nearly succeeded. So when he went to visit her in the hospital... The very first thing she said to him was, you just need to know that the reason I tried to kill myself is because you ran away. How's that for some bondage? And then on top of all of that, he had a sexual addiction that left him feeling dirty and completely unlovable. Well, when he was done telling me all of this, I said, Jack, I thought you were a great guy before and I still think you're a great guy. And that took a ton of guts to tell me all of that stuff. I want you to know this doesn't define you, and I believe that Jesus wants to set you free. So let's start at the beginning. Your mom's attempted suicide. Jack, it was not your fault. And he said, well, she said it was. She said it was my fault. I said, Jack, it wasn't your fault. And I just said it over and over again. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Now, if you've ever seen a a movie called Good Will Hunting, there's a scene in there where Robin Williams plays a psychiatrist who says that over and over again to the Matt Damon character. It's not your fault. It's not your fault about his parents' divorce. Well, when I saw that movie, I I had some very judgmental comments about how poorly written that scene was. There I was, repeating it verbatim, sort of God's little irony, and I just kept saying it over and over again, Jack, it's not your fault. It is not your fault. Well, finally, he started to cry, and he said, maybe not, but but the drugs, the sexual stuff, and I said, well, yeah, that is your fault. But you know what? Jesus can free you from that, and I'm not going anywhere, neither will your friends. He didn't believe me. But then over the course of the next three years, three years, Jesus set him free. He joined a small group and made some great friends and was able to open up and confess to them all of that stuff, including the sexual addiction. And then month by month, he just got a little more confident. You could just kind of see him blooming, just talk to more people. Eventually even got enough confidence to start asking women out on dates. Same time, he he hadn't been able to get into a four-year college because his high school grades were so low, so he decided to go to community college and he worked real hard and and got his grades up. And then he decided to, then he decided to go be a missionary to the wildest, most unchurched part of the world, UC Berkeley. (laughs) And I forgave him. But there was still this sexual addiction thing. So one spring he took a camping trip with his good friends to the Grand Canyon. And late one night, he got out of his tent and he went to the canyon's edge and he started to pray. And he prayed for two or three hours. And he said that he could feel God physically present. He felt like he was being hugged by God. So at the end of that two or three hours, he took a rock and he imagined that that rock was his sexual addiction. And he said, Jesus, I give this to you. And then he threw it into the Grand Canyon as hard as he could. Later, he told me, Scott, I must have thrown that like 90 miles an hour. I could pitch in professional baseball. It was a good throw. From then on, whenever he was tempted to that sexual addiction, he took that thought captive and told her what to do. And he'd remember that feeling of being hugged. He'd remember that rock. He remembered that prayer. And he was usually able to avoid the temptation. Not perfectly, not every time at first. But eventually, the addiction completely went away. Now he's in graduate school studying to be a professor He's got tons of confidence. He has deep, lifelong friendships with people with whom he does soul exchange. The addiction is gone. He's a lot closer to Jesus. He is free at last through the power of Christ and his cooperation with it through showing his bondage to others and telling his thoughts and feelings that lead to bondage what to do. So back to the question, what's your bondage? You know, breaking free from that bondage can happen at any age, at any stage in life. And maybe it's not as dramatic as a drug addiction or a sexual addiction. Maybe it's worry or a critical spirit or overspending that's led to debt. Whatever it is, will you let one other person in on it? And then will you take every thought captive and tell those thoughts what to do until Jesus sets you free from that bondage? This week, a doctor told me a story about a pastor who went to visit a patient in the hospital, and the pastor said to the patient, is there anything that I can do for you? Patient tried to talk, but he couldn't, so he frantically wrote something down on a piece of paper, but right as he was finishing, the patient the patient lost consciousness. Patient passed out. Well, the pastor was kind of freaked out about that, and so he looked at what the patient had written down, and it said, you're standing on my oxygen hose. (laughs) Here's the deal. There is life-giving power in the name of Jesus if we just don't step on the hose and block what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And the way we open that hose up is to show our bondage to others and let them in on it, because there is a spiritual power that is released when we confess to God and one other person. And then in Jesus' name, we take every thought captive, and he will shatter our chains you know, so often we feel like there is nothing we can do about our, about our bondage. We are just helpless victims to it. You know, we think, I'm worried, I'm, I'm lusting, I'm ill, I've got money problems, you name it. or oh, river of despair, take me away. We do not have to be passive. We can show our bondage to someone else and get their help, and we can tell the thoughts and feelings that lead to bondage what to do. We can say, bondage, you are from the devil, and you do not have the right to do this to me. I am a child of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ. I am washed in His forgiveness. I am cleansed through His grace. I am strengthened by His Spirit. I am who He says I am. I can do what He says I can do. I am a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. So back away, back off, and back down. I am free in Christ. I may be small. I may be ordinary. But when I call on Jesus, everything is possible. Because at the name of Jesus, strongholds are demolished, chains are shattered, prison doors fly open, captives are set free. Even the devil has to bow down at the name of Jesus. And when I call on Jesus, mountains are going to fall and he'll move heaven and earth to come rescue me when I call on him. So bondage, you don't have an ice cubes chance in hell, literally of winning this war. So you might as well give up now because when I call on Jesus, you're going down, amen. There is power in the name of Jesus if we just don't step on the hose. So, Lord, help us not to. Help us to open up that flow of spiritual power that will shatter our chains. Lord, help us to be honest with you and one other person about the raw and varnished truth about us. And then, Lord, help us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to you. And we will be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.